0: Hello everybody, Adam Parks here with another episode of Receivables Roundtable. Today I'm here with an episode that I'm very excited about. I'm here with my good friend and longtime industry legend, Mr. Jonathan Siegel, who's with Slavin & Associates. How are you doing today, Jonathan?
1: I'm well, Adam. Thanks for uh, having me. Greatly appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. You know, you're one of the people that I really learned soft sales from. And I thought that would be more than appropriate for a topic for us to cover today, because I think so many people both in and outside the industry look at sales through an enterprise lens, but we don't live in an enterprise world. We're the debt collection industry. We live in a small, personal, individual connection type world. And we're going to get into all that fun stuff here in just a minute. But to kick it off, for anybody who's new to the industry and hasn't met you at one of the conferences that you attend throughout the year, could you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you got to the seat that you're in today?
1: Uh, sure. be happy to. Uh, like a lot of folks within the industry, I've I, I found that there's Two kind of main avenues into the debt collection industry one you're either born into it a family member has been involved with an agency or a law firm and you're genetically programmed to become a debt collector or you could be like me and i think the majority of folks that find themselves in the industry and we stumbled into it and i stumbled into it by meeting a gentleman my brother was dating a girl and they were pretty serious and i was home visiting the family here in cleveland ohio They invited our family over for dinner, and we started chatting, and I asked this gentleman what he did for a living. He had this beautiful home in Shaker Heights, and he goes, oh, I'm a bill collector. And I go, you're a what? He goes, I'm a bill collector, and this is uh, something that I'd never even thought about uh, in the financial services category. I go, that's a really strange job. He goes, yeah. He goes, you know what? People don't pay. they, They call me and ask me to collect. Fast forward a year, I moved back to Cleveland. I had a friend who was a financial planner. He had two brothers that had a small local medical collection agency that were looking for a sales rep. And I remembered my conversation with this gentleman and said, yeah, I'd be interested in talking to him about it. So I did. I took the job. And I later found out after taking the job, the gentleman I spoke with happened to be Bob Weltman of Weltman Weinberg and senior partner. And Bob more than just a bill collector, but I I didn't know anything at that time. And so you know I I felt like he was kind of pulling my chain a little bit or whatever. Uh, I eventually ended up going to work for Bob. He called me about a year after I'd started with that agency and indicated that Alan Weinberg wanted to speak to me about a possible opportunity. They had let a gentleman go that they thought wasn't doing a great job, but what they found out was they actually missed the business he was bringing in and the opportunity was presented to me. And that's kind of where I Got started in the legal side of the collection business with uh, Welton Weinberg and Reese. I was there for 13 years, and then eventually moved to Eskenos and Adler in San Francisco, and now to uh, Randy Slavin Slavin and Associates out of Cincinnati.
0: Awesome! Wow! All right, that what a what an entry, and I got to be. This is my favorite question on the podcast. (laughs) Like I love hearing about how everybody kind of fell into this industry, and there's always some little catch but through all of that now you find yourself with slavon associates tell us a little bit about what you guys do there
1: um you know we're a small boutique uh, creditor rights law firm headquartered out of cincinnati uh we litigate in ohio kentucky and indiana we are a legal shop we are not uh we don't have a, a strong front-end collection piece to our organization we have a handful of collectors but their primary responsibilities are taking inbound calls from people that we have served with suits. Um, so we're really, uh, we're great at the back end legal. If you need a strong front end collection, uh, uh, a company, we're probably not the right fit for you.
0: Well, talking about the right fit is the perfect transition. So thank you for that. Um, as we talk about the right fit for the right organizations coming together, one of the things that I've has always, um, drawn me to you and you and I have been chatting about this for literally decades now. Oh my God. Um, But it's, it's this methodology of soft selling, right? And so if you walk in with this enterprise mind frame, Right. So sales enablement teams, we're gonna have 20 people on this demo call and right, and really just throwing all these resources at sales. And I get that in a lot of other industries, right? Where the target market is significantly larger. But us living in the receivables management world, it's a much smaller world. And so throwing 20 people on a phone call feels like overkill and makes people uncomfortable, but kind of the balance that you found through the years is this soft approach to building a relationship and then letting the business come to you. So I've taken that same approach through most of my career and just trying to build good relationships with good people. And I have all kinds of different ways that I do that. But the end objective is I'm not selling for today. I'm selling for two years from now, because if I build that relationship Then these opportunities, when they need something, I'm going to be the person that they think about, and that's really all I can do to sell in this space. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, what kind of drew you. What was your realization moment as you started moving more towards this soft selling approach?
1: Well, I'll tell you that probably uh, started right from the get-go when I first started uh, with with Weltman. And the fact of the matter is that I was marketing a professional services organization uh, and not just a a manufacturing company. I'm not putting manufacturers down, but it was a professional organization. There's a certain ethical standard and code of conduct that has to be met. Um, And so I was very aware of those parameters uh, on my activities. And the reality is, is that you're right. This is a small industry and it's still one to one relationships that win the day. And it's all about building trust and credibility and to build trust and credibility it takes time it's not a quick five minute initial call it takes time um, and that's really uh being be, i I don't even like using the word selling because it's really creating relationships it's 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 building relationships when it's when the sale does come it's a byproduct of all the work you did it wasn't like closing sell you know what's your close? you know people ask well, what's your closing I don't really have a closing, there is no closing line. The closing line is the work you put into building the relationship to the point where you sign the agreement and the first files are placed. That's, that's they're, they're, you know, I, I, hate to, I hate to disappoint people. There's no magic wand. Uh <laughs> no surprise, you know, a couple of sentences at the end that closes deals, it just doesn't work like that. So it's still all about building trust and credibility. And people do business with people they like to do uh, that they like. And uh, I, I try to be a, legal, a likable person, and I try not to be too intrusive. And I also understand that their time is valuable, and they're being hammered every day, all day long by guys and girls like, uh, like me that are out there pounding the pavement. And um, sometimes you just have to wait for the opportunity. You make them aware of your presence. You express your interest, and you check in periodically. And at some point, believe it or not, the doors do open.
0: Well patience is key, right? Being able to wait for those deals, um, I also you know I, I never found myself, at least in this space with heavy quotas because I think if you are forcing the salespeople to achieve X, Y, or Z in these unusually short time periods, there's there's really one there's not a lot they can do. They just start getting desperate and that desperation starts to to stink up the room and everybody's aware of the desperation. Um, what do they say? Desperation's a stinky cologne. Uh, so like when you put your salespeople in a position where they're under all of this pressure, now it's not to say that not every salesperson is built to soft sell, some need the pressure from their internal organization to motivate them. But then there's the guys like us that are like, Yeah, I mean, the deal will come
1: like someday, we'll do business together. I don't know when it's going to be, but it's coming. It will, that's right. It- <laughs> And you're right. I don't think putting, you know, short sales quotas, I think the benefit I've had, uh, my employers have been incredibly realistic with the amount of time, effort, and energy that's required to bring on new business. So Mm -hmm. when I hear of colleagues of mine that are looking at new opportunities in business development roles, and I say, and I always question them, I go, are they realistic about how long it's going to take you to come on board and actually generate business? And besides just the book you bring with you, and you may bring some, but there's a process and it takes time. And employers, I find, oftentimes are not realistic with this, uh, the time that it takes in the sales process because it's a very long cycle.
0: Well, patience is, you know, is not a cheap thing. And I think as we look at patience in this industry, those organizations that are patient with the sales do very well. Those organizations that are patient with their or have patient capital to invest in their business tend to do very well. But those that don't have the patience tend to find themselves behind the eight ball and having to cut corners to meet unrealistic deadlines um, or unrealistic you know, objectives or goals and find themselves constantly in this um, chasing of their tail mentality, uh, which is very difficult for a salesperson because as soon as you start taking a salesperson outside of, of a comfort zone, they're going to start behaving a little less, uh, predictably. Um, uh, but I don't think that there's any reason to take people out. It's about developing a comfort zone around patients and being okay and confident in yourself and your abilities to be able to generate that patience internally. Right. Otherwise we're still, you know, chasing the next deal.
1: Of course, of course. And early on it was, uh, it was hard early on in my career. It was hard because the sales cycle was so long and I was, mm-hmm. you know, I felt Pressure to, to produce and uh, and, it, and it happened eventually, but it took a lot longer than I initially anticipated, that's for sure. And I think most people underestimate the time and effort uh, that it takes to, to bring on significant new clients. You know, they have existing relationships with vendors, they've invested time, money, and resources. It's an expensive to change to bring on new vendors. So your best bet is to, to, to wait it out when the time comes, when they're ready to move, they'll be ready and it'll be a win-win situation for, for all parties. What I don't like hearing is saying, people saying, well, you could talk them out and have them, and you're right, you know what, we could do that, but the reality is they'll never be happy. If I talk of somebody that they're using that they're currently happy with, they'll never be happy with me. They won't like the way our statements look, they won't like the way our reports look, how we communicate, you, you just have, you have to wait for the client to be ready to make that move?
0: Well, the right fit. And I mean, you can't just, even if you're a salesperson who's moving from one organization to another, it doesn't mean that you may have the best relationship in the world, but it doesn't necessarily take away the friction required to move between one vendor to another. Um, but that kind of brings me to a, a little bit of a different line of questioning here. And, you know, one of the things that we've talked about is the person that you first meet is not always the right person or the decision maker or the person who's going to ultimately, you know, decide or even participate in the decision, Um, which means that, so you meet someone at a conference and you're, you're having a great conversation, but now you're relying on that person to go play telephone within their own organization and be your champion, right? To get the right meeting set up and all that. How do you deal with that transitional piece of like, I found somebody at the organization and like, how do you take it to that next step?
1: Sure. So my standard operating procedure, typically, I start as high up in the organization as I can. And I would much rather get pushed down than trying to get pushed up. Because what I've found over the years is that the senior management teams tend to be much more open to new ideas, to new suggestions, to cost savings, to to new processes and procedures that the middle and lower management uh, teams just aren't really open to. They're involved in the day-to-day grind of producing, but the senior folks definitely have a much more open mind to exploring ways of doing things better, cheaper, and more profitably. And so Mm -hmm. I start as high in the organization as I can, and then I get pushed down. In the scenario that you just described, where I met somebody at a conference, here's a perfect example just uh, last week or the week before at the RMAI, I met a woman from a creditor, a nice lady, first time attendee. we were chatting at a high table. We exchanged cards. I sent a quick follow-up just saying, hey, it was really pleasant to meet you. Hope you found the, the, the conference to be as productive as I did. She was very nice. She wrote back and she included the person who was actually responsible for outsourcing their legal files and said, Jonathan, it was nice to meet you. I've included so-and-so. He's the person responsible for this. So in some situations, it happens just kind of naturally. In others, you actually have to dig a little bit. You have to ask. There's pushback, but you know that's what uh, you know that's what the internet's for. LinkedIn. You know, I, I do a lot of a lot of work on LinkedIn to to see how how uh, corporations are structured, who I may know within my sphere of influence, and uh, and take it from there. And also referrals. You know, I uh, I'm a big believer. I've always been a big believer uh, that there's more than enough work for everybody in our industry uh, to, to make a very, very nice living. And I've always been very free in sharing information because I believe karma comes back to you tenfold. And uh, I still believe that, that there's more than enough business for everyone. And, um, you know, we we can be our best advocates. And, and some of the best introductions I've, I've received over the years have come from industry colleagues who had a relationship with a client and said, hey, you know what, John? Great client. They could really use you, and they made that introduction. So, it's kind of across the board.
0: I love that. Look, my clients are my sales team. Yes, I, like I, I don't have a like a, a sales organization wrapped into any of my companies because our clients are our sales team. And if our clients can't sell for us, then I'm probably <laughs> not going to go out there and push it all that hard. Um, but. But it is about enabling those people to do those things, right? Because a lot of people like the services at Branding Arc, for example, and would want to share that with their friends. So how am I enabling those people to do that? Am I providing them with the right written materials that they can forward on, little snippets or PDFs or whatever that they can transfer through? And how am I actually controlling that communication? And as we talk about the game of telephone, um, you're better at this than I am at this point. But um, for me, I tend to use like uh, different decks. So like I'll when I send that first follow-up to that first creditor that I met there, I'm going to include not a full deck because they don't want a 60-page presentation, but like a PDF that's got like a couple of different key pieces of information about it that they can forward on to somebody else that would at least get that next person caught up to where we're at in the conversation. And that way I'm not relying on the first person I met to go play telephone and push it up the chain or down the chain, whatever direction it's going. Uh, But I agree with the, the try to sell down, not up. Uh, When I came, when we started ComplyArm, we started by selling to the debt buyers because the debt buyers place with the agencies and the law firms and our competitors started with like the law firms and so we were coming down versus them coming up and I saw a little bit of the differences and how that worked competitively with two different styles of organizations competing in that space. But let me ask you this, Jonathan, you know, with all the time that you've spent in the industry and all the new faces that you saw at RMAI this year, and there were so many new faces this year, if you could give these new salespeople one piece of advice going into the conferences for this year, what would it be? What's the one thing that you would you would really put above all else?
1: You know, being authentic, honesty and integrity um, Mm -hmm. be authentic, be yourself, let people get to know you. Um, and honesty, integrity is everything in this industry because the only thing you have is your name and reputation. And Mm -hmm. I've spent the last 30 years building, I think a platinum reputation, uh, with my peers and my, my clients and, um, and I'm a pretty authentic guy. Uh, you know, I am what I am and get what you get. And, uh, I, I try, I, I, I want to help others. You know, I, I'm a big believer when you give, you get tenfold back. So, um, I'm always, always looking to give.
0: I'm also a big uh, believer in karma. Um, if there was one other thing that I'd throw in there, it's add a little bit of yourself to the conversation. And so for me, um, you know, for those of you that follow me, you know, fish Friday was always something that yeah. I was really into in my scuba diving videos yeah. and all that. But, I shared a little bit of myself. And when I first started doing that on LinkedIn, I got a lot of messages from people being like, this is inappropriate. This is not, you know, this is not Facebook. This is LinkedIn and all of that. And as I continued to share a little bit of myself and to, to drown out some of that negativity, what I found was people like you and my other friends that come to me all the time, what you see underwater? Right, the first question that people ask me at conferences now, because I shared a little bit of myself and my personality, which makes me a little bit easier to get to know. And it does require some confidence to put yourself out there like that. But it's if you're doing sales, I mean, what a what a a
1: great hook! I agree, absolutely. And I always love Fish Fridays.
0: I threw that one out there because you're always one of the first people to comment or like, which I greatly appreciate. So for those of you that are watching, when your friends are putting themselves out there on social media, a comment and a like goes a long way. Reshare goes even further. Uh, But something that I think our industry often forgets. Absolutely. A lot of quiet people on LinkedIn that are monitoring but not necessarily interacting. And and that's yet another opportunity to be noticed and to soft sell somebody just commenting on their post.
1: Absolutely. I remember you. Absolutely. You know, I try to write notes to people when I see them highlighted in the news. I see they get published either on your news site or on another. I try to shoot a quick note saying, hey, read with great interest this article. Congratulations. Just, you know, it's nice to be acknowledged when when Spotlight's on you, right?
0: Those types of engagements are the most important ones because I guarantee especially if you look at a post that's got, you know, 25 likes and one comment. If you go in there and you comment, people are gonna recognize that and they remember that over time. Those people that they interacted with because it creates this camaraderie and social bond, even though you may be doing it digitally, that the next time you're at a conference, it's probably gonna come up in a conversation and now you've got friends. And that's one of those things that people walk into these conferences, they don't know anybody. And I remember my first conference where I knew literally nobody. Uh, but it's about finding these opportunities to engage and have these conversations. Because if you're not going to know anybody, at least if you're engaged in the association, you're participating on committees, you're on you know, the phone calls, you're at all these events, you're going to start to generate friends very quickly because is counterintuitive as this may be the collections industry is the friendliest industry that i've ever engaged with in my whole career
1: i agree i mean just the best of the best the people in the industry are absolutely fantastic and uh you know so many of these these colleagues are friends personal friends mm-hmm. now that i call and i get together with and i'm excited to see them at the the conferences even even my guys uh my competitors here in cleveland that I never see here uh, in town, but we're, we, we see at the airport, I see them at the conferences. It's, it's always great. It's always great. Yeah, it's great.
0: Even competitors help each other in this business. Oh, it's not at,
1: uncommon. Well, I'll tell you, at least here in the state of Ohio with the attorney firms, I think we've got great collegial uh, relationships with, with all the firms. And I think uh, we're all very respectful of each other. And uh, you know, we're all playing for each other, um you know we we all want to win but uh, like i said there's enough for everyone to win there really is you know, one other that t- is awesome. no go ahead uh, one other mention we mentioned before were uh about these younger people coming in the industry find a mentor we talked about mentors and uh, how important they were in our careers i'm telling you if you can find a mentor um it's going to go such a long way it really will and i am eternally grateful to the several mentors I've had over the course of my career. and That would be another strong recommendation for me.
0: I agree wholeheartedly. I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for the Mike Colby's and Ed Forbes of the world that showed me the ropes and made the introductions for me. And if you're sitting here watching this and you're getting into the receivables management industry and you just don't know where to turn, send me a message send me a message on LinkedIn. I'll help you find somebody who's a good fit for you and the type of work that you're doing and just plug you in so that you can learn from somebody. And I can tell you that that has made all of the difference in my personal career. And I make it a point to try and do that for others at every conference I attend and every year at RMAI, I spend time with at least one person who's there for the first time. And it's great for, I, I do it partially for them and a little bit from myself too because it's important for me to maintain the perspective of what it's like to be there for the first time well, to sure. see all of this through new eyes because it's so unique and it's so strange that if you don't look at it through new eyes then then I'm just some guy who's been here for 20 years um and so i think that constantly going back and reevaluating what's around me right and it's strange and things have changed right oh we used to go to these conferences and it was all suits Now it's like T-shirts and jackets or jeans or a sweater, right? Like the whole dynamic of how all of us interact with each other has changed exponentially. It's become less formal and more friendly over the last probably 10, 15 years.
1: Agree. I hold 100%. Agree 100%.
0: Well, Jonathan... I really thank you for coming on and chatting with me today. I always appreciate our chats. Whatever city we may find ourselves in on that particular day, we always seem to find at least five or 10 minutes for us to catch up and to hear about what's hot in the industry these days. So again, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you, Adam. Really appreciate the invitation. Really enjoyed it.
0: For those of you that are watching, if you have additional questions you'd like to ask Jonathan or myself, you can leave those here on LinkedIn or YouTube. If you have additional topics that you'd like to see us discuss, you can leave those in the comments below as well. But until next time, everybody, thank you so much for watching and we'll see you again soon. Thanks again, Jonathan.
1: Thanks, Adam.